now, without further ado, it gives me great pleasure to award the first... Uh, I'm sorry, we... we have a bit of a problem here. Unfortunately for Troop 417, during the ADAA required random drug screening, one of your players' urine tested positive for three separate types of anabolic steroids and a low-grade beaver tranquilizer. I'm afraid, by rule, your team must be disqualified. Welcome to Talking Giants. Your host, Bobby Skinner, here with Justin Pennick. We're going to cover the wide receiver group today on our positional year-end review. But we usually do some news before that. And Justin, we have literally no news to talk about. Like, not even an inkling of news. No news. Uh, my brain rejoices because I don't have to think and come up with takes about things that I don't know much of. So I say yay for no news. And then also just to check in my headspace, uh, I'm I'm tired. I'm very tired, Bobby Skinner. So that that's that's where I'm at right now. How, how are well, you doing today? I'm good. We just finished an interview. We're not going to say who it was with, but it was our first player interview of the offseason. So I'll, I'll let I'll let the mind wander on that. So that I thought that went halfway decent. I'm doing well. Jody Wright, the assistant coach, he followed me, Justin. And usually I wouldn't follow, you know, follow brag like that. But why I think the listeners deserve to know that is because my only interaction on online is when he changed his profile picture to the Giants. And I said, welcome, coach. Uh, can you assist me in my quest to fight Baker Mayfield? So is it, am I going to fight Baker Mayfield? I honestly do think that you will fight Baker Mayfield depending on whether we're in Cleveland or whether we're in New York this upcoming this upcoming season. Do we know that yet? I'm pretty sure it's in New York, and I'm going to oh. do my best to have seats by the away tunnel. And I'm going to do what has become the trend is yelling at Baker Mayfield from high ground, which I don't even need to be in the stands to do that because he's uh, um, very short. It's going to happen eventually, right? Would you jump down and fight him like at the tunnel, like right by the locker room, or you, you know, know we you can't do that. do that, Baker. You come up here because the best Baker Mayfield thing oh, is he says, he right. says, uh, he says uh, the Bengals fans are harassing him, and he's they're like, "Why don't you come down there here and say it to my face?" And just the quickest reaction by this country guy, you know, you know we can't do that. So I was like, "Why don't you come up <laughs> here?" I'm gonna pull it up right now. Come up there! <laughs> I love that. I love harassing Baker Mayfield. If this is your first time listening, you're like, what is, what is going on? This is what happens when we have no news. Now, we're going to do a great job, I believe, on this wide receiver review, but there's no news. So Jody Wright followed me, and we're going to fight Baker Mayfield. Do we, know the, do we know the frame of Jody Wright? What do you mean by frame? Like frame as a physical being? Are we skinny? Are we buff? Do we know the frame? The framework. Oh, the, the physical frame. Well, I'm going yes, to... the physical frame. He's a, he's a big boy. He ain't, he ain't huge, but he's, he's, a, he's a big dude. He's got bad hair. He's going bald, which is kind of oh, sad. Oh, boy. Well, join, joins the rest of the coaching staff that's, uh, I that's think either he's bald shaved. or balding. Oh, it's not I think great. he shaved? I think he's a good dude, and I think we're going to have to get him on the show eventually. Oh, I just realized I can DM him, so I'll slow play it, and we'll get him on the show. And we'll, we'll, we'll fight Baker Mayfield. 
Bada bing, bada boom, Bobby Skinner. Um, I guess if there's any kind of news that's happening, um, Super, Super Bowl, Bowl Sunday. Who you yeah. got? Oh, well, here's the here's the complicated thing here. I want to be right, and I want passing to be king, right? So I think I am just emotionally invested in the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes this Sunday. I think I have to be. I want the Chiefs to win because, and I know people are like, whoa, but I like the great QBs winning Super Bowls. I don't like the, the trend deal. Like, I don't know. I don't want Jimmy Garoppolo throwing the ball 15 times and being like, he's a Super Bowl champion. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want the, I want Patrick Mahomes, one of the greats, to win a Super Bowl. Like, the older I've gotten, it's more, it's like, I don't really root for the underdog. For the most part, I just want to. I want to see. I root for the underdog in the playoffs and then in the championship. I'm like, I want to see. I want to see the better QB win. I want to see like history me. Where Jimmy Garoppolo wins this, it's not because oh Jimmy Garoppolo the great QB. It's the San Francisco's defense and their run game. You know what I'm saying? So I'm actually rooting for the Chiefs, but I also don't really care who wins. I'm I'm just rooting for a good game for the most part. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, I'm, you're kind of rooting for a good game, and the the theme of the Chiefs has been this playoffs is kind of getting behind early, and then Patrick Mahomes and his legs and his arms basically, and is also his improvisation. Did I say that right? Improvisation. Um, it, it basically it gets them back into football games. So I'm going to be interested to see does that trend kind of continue this Sunday um, with Patrick Mahomes. I don't Mahomes think and they the can getting do behind that, early. Though, with the 49ers. Like, right. Correct. Titans, the Titans like can like. And I, this is not going to turn to debate, but the Titans' passing game was not good. Tannehill was pretty good, but he was he was throwing the ball like 19 times a game when they were on their winning streak. Um, and then the Texans, they're just kind of a mess. I mean, they paid up 51 points, so they're not going to do that against the 49ers. So if they go down early, I, I, I'm actually kind of leaning that the 49ers are going to win. I, I think I might pick the 49ers, although I would, if you had to make me pick who I want, it'd probably be the Chiefs. Yeah, and then if you're talking about on the other end of the spectrum, if the Chiefs actually, even if they don't get off to a necessarily a fast start, but if they're forcing Garoppolo, you know, here you go. You want you want sports radio talk? I feel like this is what they're saying on. I feel like this is what they're saying on sports radio. Make Jimmy Garoppolo throw the ball because that's how football games work. The more that you make quarterbacks throw the ball, the more it prob- the more likely it probably means that the other team is behind. So, and throwing the ball is obviously not their absolute strongest strongest. Um, element of their game but jimmy garoppolo has not been bad like jimmy no, garoppolo has, has been above has average been, for quarterbacks yeah he has but i think you know it's just that the 49ers are a very good team all around that running game like like everyone's seen in the playoffs and throughout the regular season i think they were number two um on the season to to the ravens and their defense with the you know getting nick bosa i mean jimmy garoppolo has been good like he's been pretty good but he, you know he's, he's he's no patrick mahomes He's hell. He's he's been no Eli Manning in these in this season in playoffs. Um, I'm trying to think of the last QB, which would have been kind of similar to Garoppolo. I mean, in the Super Bowl, can, should we do this on the fly right now? Let's think. Foles Let's do it on the fly. Foles balled out. Um, Brady, obviously. Even Russell. Flacco balled out in the postseason when he yeah. when he was when Flacco, he won. yeah Flacco was ball- Flacco had that ability. That was because it was Flacco's contract year. It was the first time he applied worked hard. Like that's why people are like that's why I can't stand Joe Flacco. It's not like oh he doesn't have the arm talent. Joe Flacco could have been a great QB, but people on that team, including Ray Lewis, said that Joe Flacco never really applied himself fully. So in his contract year, all of a sudden 
He was playing like an amazing quarterback. Weird how that happens. Although they were always pretty good in the playoffs um, during that time period. I mean, they were a, a Matt Stover shank away from going to the Super Bowl against us. And then when, when Gronk got hurt, I will say, in that 2012 uh, year, or when Gronk got hurt, I was like, okay, I want the Patriots to win. Uh, and yeah, we won. So I'm trying to think. I mean, maybe Big Ben, he had a bad Super Bowl, but I think he was better than, you know, he was a bigger part than what Garoppolo's. I mean, I feel like it's got to be Brad Johnson, really. You're, you're going pretty far back there. Now, the Garoppolo main... is younger than, than Brad Johnson, so I'm not saying like Garoppolo is Brad Johnson, but I'm saying like a season type. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of kind of rambling. No, but I think the kind of the main piece of kind of what we're what we're talking about. If if you are in the, I don't even want to say. I don't even want to put you put people in a box of like analytics, right? I I'm not I'm not doing that. I'm not going to be petty like that. Like some people are with either. If you're on like so pro analytics or so pro run the ball old school mentality. If you're in the camp of quarterback is the most important position in sports and quarterback play literally trumps almost everything obviously there's context obviously you have an entire team behind you but the 49ers have a better complete they have the more overall complete team whereas the chiefs they have the other out of this world otherworldly quarterback so those kind of two things they're gonna be really clashing this weekend and we're really gonna we're really gonna see just how much uh, elite quarterback play uh, can carry a football team now the chiefs still have a pretty good team but i think that 49ers uh team as a whole uh, it's just uh, uh, a lot better than that Kansas City roster. Yeah. If it was any other QB in the NFL besides Patrick Mahomes at the 40, well, they wouldn't even be there probably. No. But I, I feel like it'd be 49ers' easy pick. But Patrick Mahomes is he's the best QB in the NFL, and he's proven that over the last two years. And I, I'm someone who's pretty very slow to anoint guys. Like if, if I'll, In fact, I'll be a little late on takes. But like from, from last year, you knew, okay, this kid is legit, and his playing style lasts. He's not going to have 55 touchdowns every year, but his playing style lasts in the NFL. So, anyways, anything else we want to talk about before we get to these receivers? Uh, anything as going of, on? Uh, as of Thursday night, the over-under is 54. So, what do you got? Over-under. That would be 27-27. I'm going to go under because if the 49ers win, I say they score like 20 they, – they score 27 points. And if the Chiefs win, I say the the 49ers score like 13 points. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go under. I'm gonna go over just to be different from you because uh you never bet the under. Never bet the under in football. Never. Well, I don't bet at all. You should never bet at all. It's a it's it's bad. You could get addicted to gambling. It's bad. That is true. That is true. And I do have a I do have an addictive uh, addictive personality. Um That's the spread at all. The spread is one and a half. Chiefs are the favorite. We think it's gonna be that close? I don't know. I feel like I'm contradicting myself. I'll, I'll say the 49ers uh, cover that. Boom. Boom. I, I'll take the 49ers money line. How about that? I want a less. I want, I want like a dramatic finish. Yeah, that's all I care about, really. Make it a one-score a one game on the final drive of the game. That's really all I care about when it's not the Giants playing or the Browns or the Redskins. That's all I care about. Is it a, Make it a one-score game on the last drive of the game. Steve Spagnuolo could get another ring. We shall yeah. see. That'd be cool to see Spags get it. Spags is one of the best best guys out there. All right. Let's talk about these receivers, Justin. We got four we're going to talk about in depth. Let's start with Sterling Shepard. He turns 27 in a, in a week from now, so let's call him 20 is 27. 5'10", 200 pounds. 
And last year he played in 10 games. He had two concussions. He ended up with 57 catches, 576 yards, and three touchdowns with a 69% catch uh, per target rate. Justin, how are you feeling on Shep going into 2020? Oh, Bobby, you know, I'm kind of conflicted because I'm I'm approaching Sterling Shepard's 2019 season saying, in a way, this was his best season as a pro. Mentioned uh, 68% catch percentage, almost 69% catch percentage. Nice. You know, I, rounded, uh, I go by the, the first decimal and then you round up or down. Yeah, but you, but you you all, you also forgot to say nice at the end of sixty nine, but that's all right. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a pass for that. Um, but t- twenty seventeen, you know, he was still under Ben McAdoo's system, and that was such a bad football team. You don't really even want to you don't even really want to touch that season and touch those days. But I really do kind of consider his two thousand nineteen season to be his best season as a pro, not statistically, but if you just look at the production and you look at the role and the purpose that he served on this team. That's how I really just do approach his his 2019 season. What does scare me, though, these concussions scare me. And, you know, having multiple in one season uh, back in 2017 where he where he started 10 games, but he played in 11 games. He also had head. He had head issues. He had headache issues, migraine issues. Don't know if those two things are necessarily related, but. This is something that is really, really worrying me for a guy who I really feel is starting to hit his stride in terms of him being a pro. You know, Beckham's gone. He's finding his stride as a wide receiver in the National Football League. He's, I kind of hated him, not hated, but I kind of doubted him in the preseason saying that he can't be a number one guy. But if you look at his 16 game rates, and I'm sure Bobby, you know, you may be able to do that on Twitter for everybody uh, on Monday. You're the king of rates. If you put his, you know, his his rate of a 16 game season, those are some pretty darn good numbers. So, I'm really optimistic for Sterling Shepard, but the concussions absolutely 100% do scare me. Yeah, I want to get to the concussions in a second, but you mentioned his 16 uh, game rate, 91 catches, 922 yards, and five touchdowns. That would have been his best season by far. I mean, and look, he played 10 games in 2019. In 2018, he played the full season. He had nine less catches this year, and that's with his yards per reception going down by three. You know, he had he didn't have the great yards per reception, but he was kind of like that chain mover guy, especially when Tate wasn't there to, to start the season. And he had the three touchdowns. You know, we all saw the one against Tampa, which was just a beautiful pass from Daniel Jones, the Green Bay game, and uh, and then the Washington game. They were all really beautiful throws by uh, Daniel Jones, actually. But I think. He played pretty damn well and with Golden Tate in. And that was the big question. And we'll get into this when we talk about Golden Tate more. But the question is, can Sterling Shepard play outside? And his outside numbers were pretty good um, from before this season. Um, but I looked at it. Okay, like what, what was his game? His games like without uh, Golden Tate? He played four games without Golden Tate. That's four. He had 23 catches, 258 yards, two touchdowns. On a 16-game rate, Justin, Compared to the the uh, the ten game rate, that's one more catch. Now it would have been uh, an extra hundred yards, and it would have been three more touchdowns. But touchdowns are hard to do on the sixteen game rate. Right, right. So it's really it's one more catch, and you know it's a a, a yard and a half more per catch. So that was like proven wrong. It's like okay, he can work with Tate, uh, or he can work well with Tate and work that well on the outside. I mean, his route running is probably the strongest part of his game. You know, he's he's definitely fast and, and can put the burners on, but he's not a burner. His his route running, I would say, is the best on the team. And, you know, for the most part, like his catches were 
open because of the, his route running. So as far as before we, you know, get deeper into the concussions, football player wise, I'm very excited about Sterling Shepard going forward. Yeah, uh, in terms of this whole debate of can he play inside, can he play outside, can he play the slot, um, what was really curious to me, you know, Bobby and I were talking pre-show, and you look at his yards per reception, you look at his yards per target, yards per reception 10.1, yards per target 6.9 again, you would think, okay, those numbers are less than Tate, We'll we'll give you Tate's numbers in a few minutes here, but those numbers are less than Tate. You typically think, okay, Shepherds are our possession wide receiver on this team. Typically, you would think the possession receiver would be in the slot, but he played on the outside. Now, what makes what makes I think both of these receivers complement each other very well, and possibly something that I hope uh, Jason Garrett can do with both Sterling Shepherd and Golden Tate. They are both very versatile in terms of being both inside and outside wide receivers. So you already, you already heard Bobby's numbers in terms of how uh, his his numbers where he was on the inside and outside didn't really differentiate that much. Um, his role as a, as, as a guy who was moving the chains was very strong. It was there. It was apparent. I think back to a very clutch play that he had on a fourth down where he, where he, ran, a, where he ran an out route towards the sideline, fourth down against Washington. Um, that was a play that sticks out in my mind as a guy that can just move the chains. You know, I, I am very optimistic for how Sterling Shepard's career can progress, uh, and especially with his relationship with Daniel Jones, because those two uh, really did click um, from very early on. Yeah, so let's talk about the concussions. I mean, he had two this year. Um, we don't. You mentioned our migraines in 2017. He played his whole rookie season. He played all of 2018. Concussions are super tricky, and I don't want to pretend to know more than I do. Um, but I also, and if I'm wrong, please, like, I'm serious, please reach out to me and let me know if I'm wrong, not just your opinion, if you actually know. But a lot of people want him shut down, and I don't. I think if you're cleared and you are actually cleared, then you should play. Basically what I'm saying is if you're one concussion away from being retired and that's why you're sitting, then you should just, you should kind of just retire because, you know what, like, he's going to get another concussion. Now, is he going to miss another game for a concussion? I don't know. But will he have another concussion? Yes, he will. The good thing personally about him is that he wasn't a he, – he didn't hide it, which, you know, the the meathead football in me is like, oh, you know, hide those concussions. But, you know, obviously in re, it, this is real life, and you can't do that. I mean, he was set to play against Dallas, and the night before it's like, nope, he didn't feel right, and he's out. I mean, he missed, uh, you know, uh, that game, and then they had the uh, – he missed the Jets game, and then the Bayouken came back against Chicago. I want to first of all, I do want to give him credit for, especially after that, before that Dallas game. This is just a it's, it's a scary situation, Bobby. Like it's it's a very very scary situation. Now, I you know I didn't play that long. I'm not going to act like I played that long. And also, I, I being an offensive lineman, I never you never really experienced that that type of contact and that type of trauma to the head over and over and over again, but. This is just a very scary thing that he's facing. Um, you talked about if you're one concussion away from basically calling it your career, that you should just retire right now. And you have to, th- I'm going to throw this into the water. I'm going to throw this out there about, you know, the ethics of the NFL right now. That's something, you know, if you watch the Aaron Hernandez documentary, you know that this is something that's kind of thrown, thrown under the water. And again, I'm not going to act like I'm an expert on all of this and I'm not going to get into the whole I conspiracy also don't theory. Think- like, oh, look, Aaron Hernandez murdered people. 
CTE. Aaron Hernandez was, I, I don't want to do this right now. He was a no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's the reason why he did, but I'm just saying the ethics of the NFL in terms of hiding this stuff and, you know, pushing. But they don't hide though, it anymore. The players hide it. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, you're right. I, you they, know, I, I mean, the right. NFL definitely used to. But if a guy has a concussion, they're not like, ah, get back out there, Johnny. They don't do yeah. that anymore. Um, now, players definitely do hide it. Players play with concussions every week. Um, and that's just like the warrior mentality of football players. I mean, I, there's only one time in my, you know, playing time where it's like, oh, wow, I really have a concussion. Just like, I'm not going to miss the game next week. Yeah, players hide it. But there's no coaches and trainers. Now, they might be bad at diagnosing it and putting guys back out there when they shouldn't be. But no one has a concussion. And they're like, ah, just, just, uh, just, you know, rub some dirt on it, Johnny, and get out there. Yeah. I mean, part of what really scared me throughout this entire season with Sterling Shepard and with this Giants training staff, from literally the first week of training camp, Sterling Shepard broke his thumb. And less than one week later, he was out there catching footballs again. That was worse than the concussion handling, honestly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's just a matter of, as fans, I feel like, okay, so that shows a great lack of common sense amongst whether, I don't know if it's the trainers, I don't know if it's the coaching staff, it, you know, unless it's the doctors who are clearing them, nobody really knows. But that lack of common sense to me, when you're out there, when there's not even, you're not even close to playing a football game, and it's the second year that Sterling Shepard was in Pat Shermer's system, so it's not this huge emphasis to have him get out there and get reps. That lack of common sense really, it scared me in the preseason, so I feel like Giants fans, they absolutely have the right to question it as the season goes on. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with Shep. And part of what happens with Shep is the next guy, Golden Tate. Now, he had the four-game suspension to start this season. Missed one game uh, due to injuries. 31 years old now. He finished the season with 11 games, 49 catches, 676 yards, and six touchdowns. He had a 58% catch rate, which was his lowest since his rookie year in 2010. Now, Golden Tate's a slot guy. Golden Tate is playing the slot, and that's why he's the reason Sterling Shepard isn't playing the slot. And with his suspension, the guaranteed money in his contract is voided. So where it was pretty much a two-year deal, it, it turned into a one-year deal where the Giants could really cut him with no dead cap. That being said, Golden Tate was a playmaker for Daniel Jones. The, the most contested catches were from Golden Tate, more so than they were from Darius Slayton. I mean, just think about the, um, the, the last game against with the Eagles. Um, the, the, the one-handed catch on the sideline against the Cowboys. The, the most contested catches were from Golden Tate. He was the best in traffic, and he's made a very good career by doing that and having yak. Now, there may be a better option out there, and we can talk about that in a second, but there's no doubt in my mind that within Jason Garrett's Air Coriel system, that Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard can coexist. Yeah, it's just a matter of fit. Uh, I would I would honestly like to see both of them kind of flip in their roles in terms of one guy's slot, one play, one guy's on the outside, the other play, instead of one being mutually exclusive. That's Does, too much. That, I mean, maybe they can get that kind of detail and stuff like that, but like that's just kind of unrealistic to be like, okay, you guys are going to take turns doing this. Now, maybe they can do it, but I don't, I don't know. I don't see that happening. I mean, because like, I mean, with the, even with the Patriots, who are more prepared than anyone, it's Edelman's yeah. in the slot. Yeah, so... Bad, bad guy move on my part for having unrealistic expectations for football teams. But uh, the 57% catch rate really did scare me. Uh, but the yard, but if you look at his yards per target and you look at his yards per reception om- being at almost 14, his playmaking ability it kind of, it can kind of make up for it. Now, on the outside, I look at Golden Tate's season. I 
I'm kind of dis- I was kind of disappointed by it. And then I did look at the numbers. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus, the top wide receiver producers in the yard yards after catch per reception. Now, this is in the middle of November. Uh, Golden Tate was third in the league with uh, 7.03. So, you know, he was still doing the things that we signed, that we initially signed him for. Um, why we signed Golden Tate is because of his ability to break tackles, because of his ability uh, to get yak and yards after the catch. But overall, Bobby, I just wasn't totally pleased with his lack of separation. The contested catches, they're fun to see, they're fun to watch, they're highlight-worthy plays, but over and over and over again, you see that Golden Tate was not able to get in space. There would be times where he'd be running crossing routes over the middle of the field. I'm even thinking of a time against Chicago. There'd be times where he's running crossing routes over the middle of the field. He can't shake a linebacker when he's running crossing routes over the middle of the field. He can't outrun a linebacker. He can't get a, can't get a linebacker off him. He's not even having a corner covering him. The laziness at some points, Bobby, you pointed this out during the season on the podcast, how you would watch oh, film and Golden trouble. and Golden Tate would be lazy in, in, in run blocking plays. You look at the numbers, you see Golden Tate had a pretty good season, missed some time due to the suspension. I honestly don't even want to get into the suspension, uh, you know, and, and the, the team culture after trading Beckham. The first move that Gettleman made was Golden Tate getting suspended. Obviously, you can't foresee that, but I just thought that was funny uh, how that all went down. But attitude, you know, I'm not, I'm not even gonna talk about attitude because he, I, I don't, I don't even like Tate's attitude. But yeah, um, you look at the numbers. Tate's season's a little bit better, but eye test. If I'm just solely going off of the eye test, I'm not extremely satisfied with Golden Tate's uh, role and place on the team. My kind of situation is why not bring him back? Because you know, I now here, here, here is the one scenario where I would say, okay, let let's move on from Golden Tate. That's if they were somehow to get Amari Cooper on some kind of two-year big money deal. Something similar to what Alshon Jeffrey initially uh, started with the Eagles from. That's the only way. Because he, they, this, off, these, this personnel fits in the Eric Coriel offense. And we've talked, you know, Joe Judge and Jason Garrett have talked about it. Not going to put square pegs in round holes. So, the Eric Coriel doesn't mean you have to have two big body burners on the outside. It just means you have to have vertical you know one to two vertical threats in most plays and tate can do that i mean tate look at all most of his touchdowns they were vertical um shep can do that and then slayton that's like what he where he made his money and then you can put angerman vertical routes so like fit wise i think he's gonna fit just fine now you mentioned the separation and stuff like that i agree with you the separation wasn't always there but i mean what else what are you gonna do unless you what are you you gonna put damari scott in there you know i don't think so so I thought, you know, he did a pretty damn good job. He ended up with 13.8 yards per catch. His 16-game rate would have been, you know, 17 yards short of 1,000 with nine touchdowns. So, I mean, you can't be mad about that. And like I said, it was his lowest catch rate since 2010. So I, I don't think he's going to be getting, like, a ton better. But I don't see it being I, – I see his catch rate being better going forward. The only, the only way I can see it fitting better – it's if the Giants go out and, and give, like I said, a two-year deal on Amari Cooper. Not saying you go and make Amari Cooper the highest-paid wide receiver. But if you can give him a two-year big-money deal, that's when it's like, okay, because it's really not that much. Say, say you even went 20, two years, $40 million with Amari Cooper. Let's, let's just highball it. Let's just say you did that. It's really not that much. It's, it's basically you're adding $10 million because then you're removing Golden Tate's all of his cap space, which is what, you know, $10 million or so. So it's really not that much of an increase in and in, in, uh, in cap space or in and in, uh, in use cap. 
And if it's a two-year deal, you really don't have to worry about it because, like, it's, you know, we have Daniel Jones and Saquon on these rookie deals. Right. Uh, and obviously, Amari Cooper, that wouldn't be a, a, a slam dunk. That wouldn't be a guarantee that you would go out and get him because, you know, these guys, these guys are going to get their money. They're going to get paid and they want their guaranteed money. Um, so with that in mind, don't take what I said in my critique of Golden Tate. Just because I'm not happy with his place on the team necessarily um, doesn't mean that I, you know, he, I think he is a very much a realistic option for 2020. And I was high on him. I was extremely, extremely, Bobby, both of us were extremely, extremely high on Golden Tate heading into this year because of the fact that you look at what he did. He was sneaky, sneaky good. He had sneaky, sneaky good production. And Part of it, you know, you kind of want to attribute it to Pat Sherman. You kind of want to attribute it to, you know, you would ask for, you know, more wide receiver screens going to Golden Tate. You know, maybe not as many, one, you know, running back screens and stuff like that, but you want more screens going to Golden Tate. You want to get your playmakers in space and all of these cliche takes. Um, and that was not done on a consistent basis. What was done is Daniel Jones having impeccable ball placement and, just making incredible plays and then Golden Tate would respond and finish off those plays. So that's really where you saw Golden Tate thrive, where those two kind of made their own plays instead of plays being designed naturally for them to fit. Um, you know, there was one screenplay, uh, the first drive of the second half, can't exactly remember the game, but there was one screenplay that happened very early in the third quarter uh, that Golden Tate took took the house, and that was against the Jets. So that's the one time that I'm thinking, okay, this is actually a good schematically sound play that resulted in a big Golden Tate play and not something that was basically created by impeccable ball placement by Daniel Jones. Short answer, you t- just completely ignore that the suspension happened. Did he exceed? You go below or just kind of meet what your expectations were for him. He kind of went under. He kind of went under what I was expecting him to do. I really was expecting him to be the clear-cut number one receiver on this team because of the production that he has put up in the past. Now, was he ever a number one wide receiver on a football team before? And then he just put up solid numbers around what was around him. You know, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a big time Lions fan. Uh, not a big time. Uh, you know, Seattle Seahawks fan. Go even going back to his days there. But I expected him to really just take that leap in terms of how many times quarterbacks have been targeting him, and then also the fact that you had Odell Beckham Jr. who left the football team, who left. 130 targets, around 130 targets on the table, and they were up for grabs this year. So I expected more of a leap. I expected him to be more of a quote-unquote possession receiver, a guy that would move the chains, and then he would make things happen from there from after the catch, and he would make his moves from there in terms of being versatile and breaking tackles in that regard. Could just be possible that he's not the player that I expected him to be. I, like I said, I expected him to be more of a possession guy. Um I could change my expectations for him next year, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I think in the yards, like, like you know, making plays, I think he met my expectation. But the volume of, like, you know, having – because he's been close to 100 catches almost every year. Um, and then, like I said, his 16-game pace was 71. That's where I think it was a little below. There were some games where he kind of went radio silent, where – especially when he came back, he didn't fit in great. I mean – let me take a look at it. When he came back against Minnesota, he only had three catches for 13 yards. And then with uh, Shep out the next game against New England, he had six catches, 102, and a tutter. Um, so he was he was really big with she- when Shep was out. And then when Shep was in there, he kind of uh, – he, he wasn't always the same guy. I mean, 
you know, the Eli's last game, he had one catch. Now, granted, it was a 51-yarder for a touchdown. Washington, everybody ate in that game. Um, so I, I don't know what I'm saying. But basically what I'm saying is I think it was kind of even. Like, I wasn't disappointed in Golden Tate this season. All right. Darius Slayton. Now, this will probably be the most positive one we talk about. My man was a fifth-round draft pick out of Auburn. He missed the first two games of the season. He basically missed all the training camp. He started out rookie camp lower than anybody because my man couldn't catch a pass. At 6'1", 190, 23 years old, he ended with 48 catches, 740 yards, and the big number, eight touchdowns. On a 16-game rate, that's 55 catches, 846, and nine touchdowns. He had a 57.1 catch per target rate, and he was a playmaker for Daniel Jones. He is that outside guy, and I think he's going to fit in great with Jason Garrett. He's not a burner, but he can burn people. He mosses guys. He has, like, the the stuff that he can get better at is stuff that guys do get better at. But as far as the playmaker, it doesn't make sense that a guy like this fell to the fifth round. And I remember watching his Auburn tape, Justin, and going, this guy's kind of good. And Jared Stidham at Auburn? Like, I was like, he kind of sucks. But, like, there were some amazing plays that Slayton would make. But going into the season, it's like, don't get excited about fifth-round pick. Like, don't convince yourself that a fifth-round pick is going to be this guy. But he ended up proving that he was, I don't know, what was he the second-best rookie wide receiver this year? Maybe third? But, um, you know, it's I say the four best were him, Terry McLaurin with the Redskins, A.J. Brown with the Titans, and Hollywood Brown with the Ravens. And I don't think Hollywood Brown... I think he was more of just kind of in that system burning guys. I don't think he was just like a complete wide receiver. I mean, Slayton is somebody that is extremely uh, – I'm very optimistic for going forward, and I don't think it was a one-year wonder. No, I would I would tend to agree with you where you were begging this guy to get out there and just practice with the team in training camp. Uh, I think he had hamstring issues, which I've, uh, hamstring issues kind of do uh, scare you. But luckily, he, you know, he, those hamstring issues, they were kind of dealt with in the spring. They were dealt with in the summer. So he was ready to rock and roll once that Tampa Bay game came rolling around in week three. Coming off of rookie camp, he couldn't catch a single pass, like you said, Bobby. And then once they started to work towards the spring, the player that impressed that coaching staff the most and Pat Shermer the most, it was Darius Slayton. So it was from there, you know, oh, you know, this guy Darius Slayton, he's kind of popping a little bit. You see the potential. You saw the film at Auburn. And basically what he needed to really work on was his route running. Uh, He needed to make that a little bit more crisp. But the things that you can't necessarily teach – the playmaking ability. You can't teach game-breaking speed. He has those things. You know, you don't look at Darius Slayton. I felt like there wasn't exactly a moment this season where I watched Darius Slayton and I said, whoa, like this guy is fast. Like, you know, you watch Deshaun Jackson in his prime and you would say, whoa, that guy is like genuinely fast. But Darius Slayton, he would still burn guys. Like there, there would be safeties over the top that he would beat, and Dar- you know, you would have times where Daniel Jones would be throwing a guy's, he's double covered, or sometimes there's even three guys around him in the end zone, and Darius Slayton is going over the top, and he's beating all those guys out for touchdowns. The yards per reception is something that boggles my mind for Darius Slayton. 15.4, and we were talking about how Cody Latimer, who I believe had like 17 yards per reception in 2018, we were talking about how Cody Latimer, like, oh yeah, even though very, very, very small sample size for Cody Latimer in 2018, that's 17 yards per reception, that's kind of bananas. And then the fact that, you know, Darius Slayton was able to have almost a 50-catch season and have 15.4 yards per reception, that's kind of bananas. <laughs> that's kind of really bananas that he was able to sustain that over time. 
I think Darius Slayton, the role that he filled for this year's team was the role that you wanted Cody Latimer to fill. A guy that could, you know, go over the top, a guy that can extend the field. Uh, he really did help make this offense more versatile. Uh, and it was really towards the latter end of the season, too. And that's kind of the the thing that makes me more optimistic about him in 2020 is the fact that a lot of what he did, he had that one, two, three, four game stretch where he had either more than 50 yards, 60 yards, or he had more than uh, four or five catches. Like it was either one of one of those things. So, yeah, uh, Darius Slayton, I think the sky's the limit for the kid, uh, especially coming in, not having that experience during training camp not really having, you know, with being out with that hamstring injury at, at various points and continuing to work with, with Daniel Jones. Yeah, and, you know, he came in that Cincinnati preseason game and like, wow, this kid's awesome. And then he gets hurt again. But, yeah, in that first Tampa game, he had, uh, you know, he only had he had three catches for 82 yards and that big play where Daniel Jones rolls out to the left. Probably Daniel Jones' best throw of that game. And then, like you said, is he going to be known as a burner in this league? No, but he can be, but he burns dudes. And with the ability to moth guys, I just – if he puts in the, the work and works hard and doesn't, you know, doesn't have a sophomore slump because he got lazy in this offseason after a good rookie year, my man's going to be a good receiver. And he was the leading receiver on this team. Now, a lot of that was because, you know, Sterling Shepard missed six games and Golden Tate missed five, even though, you know, Slayton missed two of his own. But a guy who was – we didn't expect to even be a starter or even the fourth guy, I mean – Say Corey Coleman gets hurt going into camp. It was Shep, Tate, Coleman, Latimer, and then Slayton was on that list. And people, people might even have him six under Fowler. So, like, he couldn't have had, like, a more impressive rookie year for what he was expected to do. I'm, but I'm excited for him. I think he's going to thrive in Jason Garrett's offense. And he's going to thrive with a guy like Jason Garrett or, or with Daniel Jones who's willing to put the ball downfield, willing to take chances, and, like we said before, has that impeccable accuracy. I uh I was looking up some uh some Dallas Cowboy player comps kind of before the show, and uh, look at I want to look at Terrence Williams' 2015 season. So Terrence Williams, he was a wide receiver for the Cowboys. Uh, his career spanned from 2013 to 2018. Uh, not sure exactly what happened and why he. I think he he probably might have had an injury. Not not sure why he's out of the league. I thought he was a pretty good wide receiver. But Der- uh, Terrence Williams' 2015 season. He had 16 games. He started in 13. He had 93 targets, 52 receptions for 840 yards, 16 yards per reception, three touchdowns. I would put Darius Slayton touchdown a little bit higher, but like you said, Bobby, touchdowns are kind of a random stat. Um, And his catch percentage in 2015, this is Terrence Williams, was at 56%. So if I had to do kind of like a player comp and maybe where you expect, where we should expect possibly Darius Slayton to be next year, uh, I certainly would not be very upset with, you know, 850 yards from Darius Slayton. I think you would want the catch rate to be a little bit higher. But if the catch rate's a little bit higher, that means that you're, you're catching more footballs and then you have more yards. But particularly a guy that averages a lot of, you know, has a very high yards per reception and just what comparing it to past. Uh, well, well, you know, well, this is also a question. Do we think that Darius Slayton can be a number one wide receiver a few years down the line? He, yes, I definitely think that. Now, this, but this leads my point because people are like, oh, do it the air core yell, you got to have that outside number one wide receiver. Not necessarily. You got to have that outside receiver who can go and make plays, but he doesn't have to be your best wide receiver. And I think, now, am I saying Terry Slayton's going to be Des Bryant? No, I'm not. But he can be the Des Bryant role. 
Yeah, I mean, gone are the days where you need a 6'3", 6'4", wide receiver, right? Gone are the days where the Ramsey's Bardens of the world. Do you remember that guy, Bobby? Ramsey's Barden at 6'6". I was in love with him. That was one of my favorite draft picks of the Jerry Reese era. I thought Ramsey's <laughs> Barden was going to be great. And I know Giants fans are are saying amen. It was always like, man, this could be the year with Ramsey's Barden. 6'6", ran that good 40 times. That guy's going to be great. Every year in Madden, I'd just put him in a starting lineup. Just like, I'm going to develop this guy. Didn't happen. I would I would do the same thing, but we're at a point now where in today's I feel like in today's NFL where there's such an emphasis on getting the ball out of your hands quickly or you know more quicker than you know what used to be when you look at you know the Giants with Kevin Gilbride's offense where you would sit back there wait for something to develop down the field, you know, uh, Darius Slayton six one, Cody Latimer's six two. I feel like we we kind of consider those guys now they're not that's not entirely big it's not entirely tall. But 6'1 and 6'2, we kind of consider that to be more of the physical, bigger wide receivers. Like I said, gone are the days where you need the Plaxico Burrises on your team. Gone are the days where you need a guy that's 6'5, 6'6, you know, to go up and go over the top, you know, literally go over guys to make catches. Uh, You know, it's more about route running. It's more about crisp route running. It's more about can, can you burn guys with your speed? And like you said, even though Darius Slayton, I would tend to say that he has game-breaking speed more than you're kind of siding with Bobby. I think he is kind of a burner, but he just doesn't look that fast. No, he definitely can burn people. I'm not saying that he's not, but I'm saying he's never going to be like a, a Hollywood Brown type where it's like, right. okay, this dude is just going to take the top off like or Tyreek Hill type. So it's not that that, and, and that's also not like the, the focal point of his game either. Although the right. majority of his routes are, are, Vertical routes, but we saw him run the entire route tree this year as well, too. And be a, he was big on third down as well. He was huge on third down. I would love that might be an offseason project for me is is seeing how many catches this man had on third down. Well, you're going through uh Daniel all of Daniel Jones's third down attempts from the 2019 season. Go follow Bobby Skinner on um on Twitter at Bobby Skinner underscore and go follow Talking Giants on Instagram. You'll be able to see all of Daniel Jones's uh third down attempts from the 2019 season. So. I'm sure I just realized how easy able... it's going to be. I can just go look. Yeah, it's going to be easy. Very, it's going to be a very easy project for me. And I'm there sure someone will steal because people love stealing our content. There you go. Just saying. All right, that was that was me lashing out. But look, all right, this is the last thing. I, at least I want to say on Slayton, he improved as the season went along too. His he played 14 games. So the first half, 17 catches, 273 yards, three touchdowns. The second half, 31 catches, 467 yards, and five touchdowns. And you know what? Now that I'm thinking about that. Let me do the second half rate for a 16-game pay. So we got 31 divided by 7 equals times 16. That puts him at 71 catches. 467 divided by 7 times 16 equals 1,067 yards. And he would have had like like 11 touchdowns. So, yeah, so my, my man got better as the season went along and as, as Daniel Jones gained more uh, trust in him. And let's not forget that Eli threw him three touchdowns as well. That is true. He was also hurt during that Washington game too, um, which was which was strange. We didn't. And I was at he that had game. zero catches in that game, and he had one where he was wide open, and Daniel Jones just threw a really bad pass on the sideline. You remember that one? You know what? For that Washington game, I was sitting on the one hundred level. And fun fact about me: I hate sitting like field level. I need to be up in the all twenty-two. Oh, uh, nosebleeds. Up. I need to be up there because I need to talk to God as well. Because that's the closest. That's the closest I ever get to God. He hears you everywhere, so doesn't matter. That's bad, that's a bad excuse. Um, 
I, you know what? I will say I was always an up top kind of guy, and his his catch per target rate in the second half was sixty percent compared to fifty five percent in the first half. I was always the top of the stadium guy. The only time I will say I was low was at the Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium, which sucks. John Boy hooked us up, hooked me up with those low seats in that Miami Dolphins game. I'm telling you, I, I, I think I'm a low seat kind of guy now. I'm getting bougie on y'all. No, no, I, I need to see the play develop because if 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 not for that, I don't know what the hell is going on. So I, I need to see the entire field. I need to see the play develop. I could see it very well. In fact, the Caden Smith. I, I remember exactly Caden Smith. He's got he's got a he's got a guy jamming him, and Eli cocks back. I'm like, oh my gosh, that he's going to be wide open. What perfect timing! And it was. And I remember highlighting it. You got anything else on Darius Slayton? Uh, I have nothing else on our great friend Darius Slayton. All right, Cody Latimer. Now, Cody Latimer is 27 years old. People forget that he's the same age as Sterling Shepard. He's only older than by like you know a hundred days or so. You know, his second round pick in Denver, everyone thought he'd click with with Peyton. It never happened. And he comes over to the Giants, and he started the year as a starter. He finishes the season though with 24 catches, 300 yards, two touchdowns, a 57.1 percent catch per target rate, 6'2", 215. He's a big body. Um, now we want to talk about not getting separation. Cody Latimer was the king of not getting separation. Oh. I interviewed Cody Latimer, by the way. He's a nice guy, isn't he? Yeah, he's a really nice guy. Just doesn't get a lot of separation. <laughs> my my favorite part about uh one of my favorite parts about this offseason is he got married and his wedding attire along with like his kids' wedding attire. So you know how Saquon did the ESPYs with like the the short the dress pants shorts deal? I think yes. I, I think Saquon absolutely failed in that regard though. But Cody Latimer at I his think wedding anyone who does that fails. No. Cody Latimer at his wedding had salmon like a salmon, almost like blazer, and then matching dress shorts. And it was awesome. And then his son, who was also in the wedding reception, he was also part of the wedding, he kind of matched Cody Latimer. He matched his father in terms of his attire. Killed it. Absolutely killed it. And I think his wife might have retweeted or liked that tweet that I had that they both killed it. And now Cody Latimer. And I, I consider Cody was Latimer. Was it Mrs. Leto Latimer? No, no. That is his aunt. Yes, his aunt is awesome. She follows yes. everyone who says anything good about Cody Latimer. Yes, she she is wonderful. And the reason why she followed me because I was saying wonderful things about Cody Latimer. The suits with the shorts suck. Anyone who wears those, like, that's, that's just a horrible look. I don't care. I, I get that those guys can pull it off and I could never. But it's just, it's just, it just sucks. I hate it. I can't stand well, it. I think it's well, a you know what? Fashion you, you suck. You suck, Bobby Skinner. Well, you know, I'm very well known for my neon shirt, so. Oh, that is I, true. Kind of a fashion guy, to be that honest. That is true. That is true. You blinded, uh, you blinded the player that we were interviewing while with your neon shirt. Um, but uh, I almost slipped there. Did you hear that? I was very high. I was very high on Cody Latimer. Yeah, uh, you were I, very high. I was on totally on team Cody Latimer. There were two guys that uh, that I was that I was on that I was big time high on heading into 2019. I was high on Marcus Golden. So good, uh, good job on me. Very high on Marcus Golden. So uh, and then uh, Cody Latimer. Those are my two breakout players for for 2019. So I batted 500. I would be in the Baseball Hall of Fame if my batting average actually did finish as 500. But uh, the Eli Manning and Cody Latimer connection during training camp and preseason, uh, it it was a uh, it was 2007 Randy Moss and Tom Brady, Bobby. Uh, it was beautiful. Shut it up. Was, it was absolutely beautiful. At he dropped a touchdown I mean, against the Bengals. Well, you know what? But then I'm pretty sure he also caught one in that game. Okay, 
because he was just that awesome and that wonderful in the preseason and training camp. I I would go. And, you know, as everybody knows on this show, I, I go to training camp and I go see the practices. It would be automatic. Automatic. Eli Manning and Cody Latimer, without a doubt, had the best chemistry out of any wide receiver quarterback pair on the field. You know, not even, you know, not even uh, Daniel Jones and uh, what's what was that guy? TJ Jones. Not even those two guys who had a pretty good chemistry during training camp had I a better TJ chemistry. Jones. I know everybody everybody loves TJ Jones. Um but yeah, Cody Latimer and Eli they had quite the connection. Even even uh, Daniel Jones and Cody Latimer had a little bit of a connection during training camp. It's honestly the biggest biggest disappointment of of my season of the of this season for me. It breaks my heart. I was so invested in him, but you know, it, it's it is kind of tough when uh you can't even get as much separation as a uh, Golden Tate gets. So, it's tough. Yeah, it was bad. All right, other receivers, Cody Core, he played special teams. He was pretty good at it. So maybe he'll have a, a player on the team. And people love to say they love to passively aggressive when they want to say everyone on the team sucks. But like I will say though, I will say Cody Core <laughs> was very good and consistent on special teams. Very good job, Dave Gettleman. That's people's passive aggressive way of saying everybody on the team sucks. I will say though, I will I I'm not afraid to admit I was wrong. Cody Core is very good on special teams. I hate talking about special teams. I hate it. I know. Right now we have a special teams coordinator. We do. This is true. This is true. But I like I like their ability to lead, but I hate just talking about special teams. I hate it. Me too. Me too. And then Damari Scott, how about uh, the more you practice, the more you should freaking take the handoff on your one opportunity on a jet sweep. Would have had a ton of yards against Green Bay. And then the announcer freaks out and says, how do you have this guy who's only played with them for one week catch – Getting a jet sweep. That's just bad coaching. He's like, actually, he's in the NFL. Learn how to take a handoff on a jet sweep, Damari Scott. That was a really good impersonation. Who was that impersonation of? I don't know. And I love that announcing crew. It's Chris Spielman and the other guy. I think that's a great announcing crew. But that was the one time of the year, the entire year, where I, I was like, that was, that. come on. Like, he's in the NFL. He should know how to catch, take a damn jet sweep. All right, we're going to have that impersonation ready, and then now I want you to do your impersonation of Kermit the Frog and see how much they're different. I can't really do Kermit the Frog. I mean, Kermit the Frog's easy for anybody. Wow. No, that's fantastic. I'm going to whoop your ass, Baker Mayfield. <laughs> Me and Joey Rack going to track your ass down. I think we should end the show now. I think you should take your microphone, and we appreciate y'all. Mm-hmm. We'll see you guys on Tuesday. We have an interview coming Tuesday. Big time interview. Very big. Woo! Very big. The starting quarterback for the New York. Just kidding. But it, it's, the, it's a good interview. We appreciate you guys listening. We'll see you next week. And maybe we'll get some news to talk about. Somebody, somebody in the Giants break the law. So we got something to talk about. We'll see you guys on Tuesday. Until then, enjoy the Super Bowl. And let's go Big Blue.